this very gift of Jesus. Thank God that he is that gift. John chapter 1, the Bible tells us in verse number 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, I want to thank you once again this morning for Christmas Day. God, I love Christmas Day. I love this time in which we celebrate you. And God, I know that every Sunday we celebrate the resurrection. And God, we don't ever want to forget that. But God, as we just one time a year, one season of the year, set aside a time to remember you leaving the diadems of heaven and coming to this earth, being made sin for us on the cross so you could pay the price for our sin. God, we truly want to just give you praise and honor and glory for what you've done. God, you are wonderful. You are holy. May you be lifted and glorified this morning. God, I pray that you would help us this morning to recall our minds to Jesus. In Jesus' wonderful, powerful, and perfect name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Something has happened this morning that has not happened in 18 years of my life. My wife and I have been married for 18 years now, going on 19 here in just about five months. And in 18 years of marriage, we have never had a Christmas in the same home more than twice you can do the math that's a lot of homes that's a lot of different places we've had christmas all over literally all over it seems but this year we can rejoice in saying that we've had our officially our third christmas in a home in 18 years hallelujah glory to god there's something about being in one place longer than just a couple of years uh, it almost feels strange. It's like, okay, should we be moving next week? I, no, we're not. We're not, uh, we're not going anywhere. Uh, but thank God for first-time events. Thank God for times in which we can recall about special occasions that happen in our very life. You know, as we think about even just my, fa- my wife and I rejoice in the fact that we've had three Christmases now in the same home, it's incredible to think that there was an occasion that happened that did not happen in eternity past and would not happen in eternity future. And that was what we see in John chapter 1, verse number 14, the Word was made flesh. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse number 1, we looked at it earlier this month, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the sum of all logic, the sum of all reasoning, everything that we need, all that the answers in which we are looking uh, for, all the answers to every question of life, every question of society is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the sum of all we need and all in whom we are looking for and all in what we are looking for came from the diadems of heaven, and was made flesh. Thank God for that. 
Thank God that he came and was made for us. You know, the Bible tells us and teaches us that there is a reason for the gift. Have you ever opened a package and as you opened a gift, maybe on a Christmas day, and you looked at it and you thought, what is this? What does this do? Have you ever thought, okay, how am I going to use this? What is the purpose for this item? And you looked at it for a few moments and you puzzled about it and you put on a smile and you said, oh, thank you very much, thinking, I have no idea what I just opened, but I'm thankful that someone thought enough to give it to me and I'm sure I'm going to find a use for it sometime, somewhere, somehow. You know, the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ, that divine gift who was made flesh, came with a purpose. The Bible tells us that there is a purpose for the gift. The gift of Christ was for a purpose. And what was that purpose? We were reminded of it in song and even in scripture a few moments ago. But I want us to recall our minds to that very purpose as we see recorded in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, if you were to take your Bibles and turn to verse number 4, we will see the purpose for the gift. The Bible says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth and into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. As Jesus is born in that manger, the angels reminded the shepherds that the gift of Christ is not just to Mary and Joseph, because they needed a Savior, the very Savior in which they were holding in that cool evening. They truly needed a savior as well but the bible teaches us that jesus christ did not come just for mary and joseph did not come just for the jewish people but he was for all people and thank god and praise him for that the bible continues for unto you is born this day in the city of david notice these words a savior which is christ the lord and this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angels announced the reason for Jesus' coming on that evening, on that, on that starry night. The answer lay hold truly in the reason of humanity. Jesus is the Savior. He came to be our Savior, the Savior for all of mankind. All of mankind this morning needs a Savior. All of mankind needs salvation. For those of us who have 
put our faith and trust in Christ, we thank God for the salvation that he has so freely given to us. No cost, no works. There was no requirement needed besides calling upon him and receiving Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And oh, praise God for that glorious salvation in which he gives. But that salvation is needed among all, all people. No matter where they are this morning, no matter what culture they reside in, no matter what color of skin, no matter what their belief system is, every single man, every single woman, every single child this morning needs a Savior. And that Savior was given 2,000 years ago, and His name is Jesus. The angels announced the purpose of the gift to the shepherds that night. He was to be the Savior. But this was not just simply for the Jewish people, as we mentioned a moment ago. For others had been watching for the Savior. Others had been looking for the Savior. In Matthew chapter 2, I want you to look at this incredible story. I wish we had time to expand and dig into this. This is such a powerful portion of Scripture. But in Matthew chapter 2, in verse number 1, we see the Bible teaching us now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Let me just stop and give you just a quick synopsis of this story. This is such a powerful and a rich portion of Scripture. Often we sing, uh, sing about the wise men that came to Jesus Christ and offered to him, as we'll see in just a moment, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we'll see the truth in that in just a moment. And we, as we sing about it, may I give you some history about these men? These men were coming from an east country. They were not coming from Israel. These were not Jewish people. These were men who undoubtedly had seen some truth that was given through men like Daniel and others who prophesied in Babylon, who prophesied in far countries, and they recognized through the prophets of old, through those who had given the gospel before that a Savior was coming. And as they saw the record of men like Isaiah, and as they saw a record like Micah and others, and they started putting things together, they knew to be watching for the Savior. Think about this for just a moment. The Jews who were nearest to Jesus Christ were missing the truth of looking for the Savior. But those who were far away from where Jesus was were looking for him. That's a powerful thought right there. Those who are nearest Christ might be missing Christ. And those who are farthest away from Christ are looking and longing for the Savior. And truly, these wise men, we don't know how many there were. We sing about three, but there could have been two. There could have been hundreds. We honestly don't know. But we do know that there was men, wise men, who had been tracking along through Scripture and knew that Jesus' coming was imminent. They understood and were looking for Jesus Christ. And as they looked for Jesus Christ, they saw a star. They said, this is it. And they came 
to Jerusalem looking for the Savior. The Bible tells us that when they asked about the Savior in Jerusalem, that people were wondering, what is it that you are looking for? There was a stir, there was a tumult, there was commotion and even unrest in Jerusalem over their inquisition of the Savior of the King of the Jews. They knew to look for the Savior. And yet, those who were just a few short miles away from him were not looking for him at all. Then we see these these wise men finding Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 9 with me. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts. What did they present to him? They represented gold. Gold was a symbol of deity. Often you would find idols wrapped in gold. You would find even the tabernacle itself that was to remind us of Jesus Christ and the deity of God was of course overlaid and made of gold in so many areas. It was a sign of deity, and as they presented gold to this little child, they were signifying that this is God, this is deity. This is the one to whom we are looking for and longing for. And notice what else they presented to him. And frankincense. Frankincense is a white resin or a gum. It is obtained from a tree. And it's obtained by making incisions into the bark of that tree and allowing the gum or the resin to flow out of that tree. Because of the broken body of the tree, the resin would come out and that resin would then be made into a highly fragrant aroma. An incense frankincense and it was burned and would be used often for worship it was something even the bible instructed in exodus chapter 30 to be used as a pleasant offering to god it was a symbol of holiness and righteousness and also a symbol of even how it was extracted of the beautiful fragrance that would come from the sacrifice that would be given for us. Jesus Christ. His body broken for us. So yea, we can be restored. We can be redeemed through Him. And truly as Jesus Christ was given this symbol of offering, a symbol of sacrifice, of how He would wholly give Himself for us, it was a symbol of the burnt offering in which he would become, the offering in which he would appease, the sacrifice in which he would be. That frankincense that was presented to them was a symbol of his holiness and his righteousness that would be offered as a sacrifice for you and I. 
these wise men knew what they were looking for. They were looking for deity. They were looking for God. They were looking for the one who would be the Savior, and they presented him a gift that would be righteous and symbolic of that very gift. But notice they did not just stop with frankincense and gold. The Bible tells us, and myrrh. Myrrh, too, was also a product of Arabia. It was obtained from a tree in the same manner as frankincense. It was a spice that was used in embalming at that time of culture. It was sometimes mingled with other substances to form an article of drink. This type of thing would be offered to Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible calls it gall. It was a symbol of bitterness, suffering, and affliction. And as they presented this wonderful and beautiful gift to the Savior, they were giving it with a symbol of knowing the purpose in which he came. God himself would be offered as the sacrifice, holy and righteous. And he would do so through yea, affliction, through suffering. And he would be that price. He would be the one that would be embalmed, as it were, put in a tomb. God himself would lay down his life for us. These wise men knew that God himself had come to pay the price for their sins, for our sins. They understood what Scripture had taught. They understood what Scripture had said. And they understood that Jesus Christ came with a purpose. He came to be the Savior. The purpose of the gift of Jesus Christ, the purpose of that beautiful deity, Jesus himself, was to be the Savior for all mankind. And praise God that he is that divine gift. But not only is he, not only did he come with a purpose, but I want you to see how he was presented. How did God present this gift of eternal value, of truly of diadems in which we could not fully ever comprehend and the value of the gift of his only begotten son. Notice how he was presented. The Bible teaches us in John chapter 1 and in verse number 14, notice what the Bible teaches us about that presentation. The Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is a powerful, powerful thought right here. Please don't miss this. This is incredible on how God puts this together. John, the disciple, sits back, writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, of how Jesus Christ was presented to us. He had a purpose. The purpose was to be the Savior. But how he was presented was of an incredible nature. For you see, he was made flesh. He was made to look like any other Jew. He would walk on the same pathways that the other, any other Jew would walk upon. He would walk with the same type of footwear and the same type of clothing. He would walk on that same 
dust on those same dusty roads and over the same rocks and around the same shores. He would eat and drink like you and I. He would sleep. He would grow tired. He was made flesh. Paul describes it this way in 1 Timothy 3, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest or showed or displayed in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. He was made flesh. He was made to look like you and I. But that flesh, notice what the Bible says once again in verse number 14, and dwelt among us. This word dwelt is a unique word. It's the verb eskinosin in the Greek, which means and comes from a root word, skino, which means to tabernacle. It literally means to settle or pitch a tent. Jesus Christ, his flesh, was in essence tabernacled or a tent that was pitched, conveying a temporariness. He would be temporarily on this earth. That flesh would be a temporary thing in essence. And the Bible teaches us that as he came here on this earth, made to look of ordinary flesh, it would be something that would be here for just a short time. It was a beautiful picture of the very tabernacle itself. The tabernacle in the Old Testament held many glories within, and we'll see that in just a moment. But its glory was truly hidden glory. When you think about the tabernacle and you think about all that was on the inside, yes, it was glorious and beautiful, but when you look on the outside, it wasn't of something that was of utmost appeal to the physical eyes. The only thing that would give an indicator or give an indicator of the beauty would be just a few small things outside or a few things outside of the tabernacle that would get us a glimpse of what was going to be on the inside. For you see, the furniture on the outer court was just simply made of ordinary brass or copper. It's the curtains on the outer court were truly unadorned linen. They would have been bleached white by the sun. The only flash of color would be at the gate, which gave access to the brazen altar and hinted for just a moment at the hidden beauties within. From without, there was nothing particularly glorious about the tabernacle. To the eye of the casual beholder, it was just another tent, spaced off from tents of the common people and more imposing in its dimensions, but it was just that, a tent. Even when the tabernacle was moved from place to place, every piece of golden furniture used within the tabernacle itself was carefully covered with the eyes uh, uh, from the eyes of the curious. Thus, too, was Jesus Christ. 
he was veiled. That flesh was a veil. It was a covering, a covering of the glories within. For the Bible teaches us that there was a power behind that gift. For you see, he looked like a normal Jew. He looked like any other man. However, there was something inside. There was something about Jesus Christ that no one else could contain. There was something within that robe of flesh that no one else possessed, and that was God himself. God himself was made flesh. The word, all that we are looking for, every answer and whom we are longing for, was made flesh for us, and there was power behind that gift. The power of the gift is truly beholden in the last parts of verse number 14. Notice it with me. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. If you were to go into that tabernacle that was made for the priest and for the Levites, it was glorious. The inner hangings were blue purple, scarlet, and other fine linens. All the inner furniture was of gold or overlaid with gold. That mysterious Shekinah cloud which overshadowed the camp of Israel would come to rest on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies where it bathed all, the, all with light and glory from another world. It was beautiful within John looked back, looked and recalled with fond admiration for the Savior. He was made flesh. He looked just like anyone else. And the Bible teaches us that John looked and thought and recalled. We saw the flesh, but we beheld his glory. He said inside there was beauty. Inside there was glory. Inside there was that in which we could look to and admire because it was God himself. He said that glory was, uh, came from the Father himself. He was the only begotten. There would be no other Savior in whom we are looking for. He was the only begotten of the Father. He would be the one in which we are looking for. He was the one that was full of glory. When we glorify something or even someone, sometimes we look back and we think about some incredible event in which maybe someone did or performed. I think of someone who maybe kicked a perfect score. And as that ball sails in the incredible situation of the defense that was around and that ball and how it went perfectly into that goal, we look and say, wow, how did he do that? That was an incredible kick. That was an incredible play. We look maybe at a beautiful picture and we look at that artist and say, wow, how did she paint that picture? How was that possible? How was her hand steady enough to paint in which we look to and admire with great admiration? John thought about Jesus Christ and mused, thinking about that beauty in which he was which he was able to handle, to hold, to eat with, to walk with, to serve with. John said he was full. Jesus Christ was full 
of grace and truth. He was completely full. That word speaks of something that was nothing amiss. In other words, as John looked at God himself robed in flesh in that tabernacle that he would have for just 33 and a half years until he would have that glorified body in which we one day will have like. But as he thought of that tabernacle, that robe of flesh, he said, I was looking at God himself and all the glories and the beauty of God the power of God and the wisdom of God and the excellency of God. And this Jesus was full. There was nothing amiss about him. There was nothing that was lacking. When we think of something that is full, we think of something that is completely full. It's not like my glass here this morning. It's partially full. No, no, no. If we think of something full, it's completely, there's nothing amiss. It is completely filled. There is no room for anything else. And the Bible teaches us that God himself is full. There's nothing lacking with God. Thank God for that. What was he full of? Notice this. This is so, so good. He was full of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Jesus' coming was filled with grace. He implored the Pharisees to repent by grace. He drew the, bar- the brokenhearted to himself by grace. He compassionately healed the blind eyes by grace. He was full of grace, and we ought to thank God that Jesus, God himself, was full of grace. But watch this. Thank God he was not just grace. For if he was just grace, he would not be fully God. But he came in that perfect balance of grace and truth. And those are key elements for you see, if God was nothing more than grace, he would not be fully truth. But thank God he is truth and grace. You see, he is truth. He did that which was right. He was tempted, but he stood for truth lies were confronted to him and about him but he spoke and dealt with perfect truth situations unfolded before him that demanded truth and he acted and spoke the truth you see he was the very spirit and is the very spirit of truth and yet he is the very perfect balance of grace and truth for if you see if he was just truth you and i would be in hell this morning but thank god that he is full of grace and truth because of his wonderful grace it brought salvation to us and the purpose for the gift salvation itself is freely acceptable to you and i thank god he was full grace thank god he was full truth thank god he was full grace and truth these two incredible attributes of god founded his decision before man was ever created to be the savior You see, God didn't come up with salvation plan the very moment Adam and Eve sinned. It was planned. He knew when he created man that he was going to send his son. He knew when he breathed the breath of life into Adam's lungs for that very first time in the Garden of Eden that he would send his son to be the price. He knew what was going to take place. Salvation's plan was given truly to show us his great grace and how true he is. His love 
for you and I. Salvation's plan didn't simply, it was not a plan B, but it was always the plan in which God had. I thank God for that. Thank God for that grace of who he is and the truth that he is the only one that could pay for our sins. And that truth brought Jesus. And that grace compelled him to be made flesh as the sacrifice for our sins. You see, the divine gift of Jesus Christ is without equal. There's nothing like the gift of Christ. There's nothing like that word that was made flesh. You and I might have had some special gifts over the years, maybe even this very day, in which you look to and you think, this is the gift that I will always look for, that I always think about. This is something that meant more to me than anything else has been given. We think fondly about those times and about those special moments. But there is a gift that will meet every need of our heart. It's Jesus. He was made flesh. He dwelt among us. And they, the disciples, beheld his glory. And we too behold his glory through the word of God. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the truth to be sacrificed and the grace that would give him cause to go to that cross. This gift is of greater value than any man could ever imagine. It's more powerful than the greatest force on this earth. It is perfectly fitting for every desire and every need for eternity itself. The thief on the cross next to Christ had nails in both his hands as describes D.L. Moody so that he could not work and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot towards, toward his salvation. And yet Christ offered him the gift of God, and he took it. He threw him a passport, as it were, and took, with him, took him with him into paradise. That perfect gift is for all. It doesn't matter what you've done in life. He's the gift that you're looking doesn't matter what sins are in your past. He's the gift that you're looking for. doesn't matter what you think you are worthy of this morning. He's the gift that you've been looking for. He's the one. He is deity. God himself. And he is that perfect gift for you and for me. Let's celebrate him this morning.